0: Welcome to Leadership, the Future, and Tea, featuring our special guests, hosted by Andy Davis and In Moffitt, a podcast for people who are passionate about making a difference at work. Welcome everybody
1: to this week's episode of Leadership, the Future, and T. Today, I'm joined by Deke Kupenhaver, who, uh, Deke, we're absolutely delighted that you can be with us today.
0: Uh, thank you guys so much for the opportunity. This is uh, exciting. Uh, it truly is
1: exciting. We're also joined by regular guest Ian Moffat. Hello
2: everybody and Deke, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. We're really looking forward to hearing some of your, you know, your experience, some of your stories.
1: So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: pleasure to meet you virtually. Definitely.
1: and uh, And for everybody that doesn't no, Deke. Um, I've just got a few lines of, of knowledge about Deke and uh, we've had some great chats over the last few weeks and we were introduced by one of our colleagues so again if everybody, uh, anybody's ever wondering about the power of social media and uh, relationship building and networking well there you go here's another example of it okay but let me tell you about Deke. So Deke has enjoyed a varied career with multi-sector career paths in banking, real estate and development and land conservation while serving on the boards of multiple non-profits and foundations. Having served as Mayor of Augusta, Georgia for nine years, he developed the ability to identify the intersection points for business, government and the non-profit sector while strategically forming successful public-private partnerships. He specialises in collaborative leadership and identifying the common ground that every sector can rally around in order to better benefit their communities and their own organisations as well. Deke has recently published a book, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders, and we're definitely going to talk about that. Deke, that's a great collection
0: of background, isn't it? Uh, It's interesting. I tell people I was in banking, real estate and development, ran a nonprofit, was mayor for nine years, actually had a radio show for a year, published a book, have a consulting firm. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I, I missed out the radio show.
1: That's the one so so Ian, we're talking to an expert on this already. Uh, I'm, all, I'm already thinking, you know, we're gonna to have to do a good job of this, one, Andy. Right?
0: I I fly by the seat of my pants when I had my radio show. The first day I went in, I didn't even know where to plug my headphones in. So no not dealing with an expert. <laughs>
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, we we hope to hear more of it. We really do. And 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 yeah, um, we're looking forward to this. Uh, I'm sure that they've got a lot of knowledge that you can share with people. And um, yeah, uh, we're going to talk about your book anyway throughout this. So should we get started? Uh, I'm in. Yeah, good man. (laughs) Good man. Okay, Uh, Deke, just get us started. okay? just give us a bit of background and just tell us who's your leadership role model and why.
0: You know, my my father is really my true north. He um, Grew up one of five children raised by a single mother during the great depression went on to, he flew B 17 bombers in world war II. went on to climb the ladder and become a a corporate CEO, but never let us forget where we came from. He never saw himself above the people that worked with him. After he passed, people said he would come and walk the floor of the factory and speak to the rank and file employees. So he really was my true north. And I, I think he lost his father when he was 12 years old, wow. so I think his military service really instilled in him the principles of duty, honor, integrity, which to be raised by somebody, I was the youngest of five children, so my father was in his early 40s when I was born, but to be raised by somebody from the greatest generation, he, he truly was my, and is my leadership model. Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I've got goosebumps now. You've said that about the greatest generation. I can't agree uh, with you enough on that one. I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And again, hats off to the man uh, flying b B-17s in the war. That was uh, an incredible feat for anyone. Um, so, yeah, Deke, I completely, completely get your answer on that one. OK. Um, and on that, you obviously work with a lot of leaders and we talked about a lot of different sectors and different companies, nonprofits, uh, everything. Right. We've ticked all the boxes there. You must have worked with enough leaders by now to understand what are the key traits that you look for in leaders deep?
0: What are they? You know, I, to me, true leadership is being a servant leader. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, I mentioned my father never saw himself above anybody he served. I did the same thing in nine years in the mayor's office. I, I viewed it as a situation where I was a public servant, not a politician. And I was a city employee, just more high profile. But But I think that humility, integrity, you know, duty, service above self, those are all traits that that really good leaders have. And it's I I often say and I say it in the book that the only power that any leader should focus on is the power to inspire, because no individual can do one thing, anything alone. But if you can inspire people to work with you, there's nothing you can't achieve. Yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible. And
1: we it's interesting that you mentioned servant leadership. Yeah, OK. So we've done a whole podcast on servant leadership, Deke, and it comes up time and time again, doesn't it, Ian? It does. It, it absolutely does. You know, this 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 sort of spectrum
2: from uh, authority versus power, you know, and and that authority that comes with with inspiring people, with leading people and having that great team around you, I think distinctly different from power. Do
1: you think there's enough of the leaders around you, Deke, actually use that servant leadership approach?
0: I, I, they're out there, and it, but unfortunately, and I think you and I discussed the last time we talked, that I view society every place as a bell curve. Mm. But And I think most people are in the center of the bell curve. They're center right or center left. Or, but all we tend to see in the media and politics are the extremes. So, yeah. we're good leaders who are leading the people that are sort of the, you know, the in the center of the bell curve. Yeah. They don't necessarily get as much press or as much recognition as I personally think that they deserve. Yeah. 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 I, th- I
1: think you've got something there. I really do. I think, um, I think the bell curve analogy is a great one for people to to kind of understand that the 80 the percent of people live in the middle there. And it's the 10 percent at the extremes at either side that uh, that you see the most of. But that, that servant leadership thing, I, I personally believe, Deke, is something that there's more people should be aware of it and uh, more people should aspire to it. And when we talked about it on the podcast, when you look at it, this was an idea that was written by greenleaf in i can't remember what year it was now 70 76 or 77, 76, or 77 yeah. yeah i was little at the time i know that for sure and um yeah it's it's actually something that's not gone away it's something that's actually grown in terms of its stature so i'm 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 chuffed that you mentioned it thank you for that
0: well and it, it it's interesting so i served as mayor for 9 years and people I, and I'm happily independent so I'm not affiliated with a political party but people have asked me why don't they thought it was a stepping stone to higher office but I'll mm-hmm. tell you another great leader and hero of mine that I've studied is George Washington
1: you know right. they they
0: wanted him to be president for life and he he walked away and went back to you know his to tend to his land yeah. so that that to me, when you offer somebody absolute power and they turn away from it, that is a great mark of servant leadership. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, that's wow. A, that
2: is a great segue. Um, uh, Dig to my my question uh, and just share with us uh, our listeners a, a couple of examples. Some some of the hardest challenges that you actually had. You know, leading the city of Augusta for that for that nine year period. What were some of the
0: key challenges? You know the, I have a tendency to just jump into things, and I tell people if I'd fully thought it through before I ran for mayor, my my wife, God bless her, put up with it for nine years, but I I didn't really think through the fact that you completely lose your privacy, because yeah, at the local yeah, level, yeah. every yeah. place you go, you know, you're you're not in Washington or you're not in Parliament. I mean, you're you're there on the street, and I purposely interacted with people from all sectors of my community, but to completely give up your privacy was not the most comfortable thing in the world. I, I grew up wanting to be famous and thought it would be so great. (laughs) And and I'm not famous, but on the local level, you you give up your privacy to, to deal with knowing, and this is from a family perspective and in politics, people will say things about you that aren't true at all and so to deal with the fact that people would try to say things and it would drive my wife crazy and but i i focused on it you you can't let that distract you from the mission yeah you know you're gonna have your critics and your cynics and it's better to to my opinion to not engage the critics or the cynics or the vocal minority and i tell people it's basically like arguing with a drunk but you know that you know that they're gonna be out there and not everybody is gonna like everything you do in a leadership position. But I used to use it as a um, learning example for children. I'd ask them how many people live in Augusta and inevitably they got the question wrong. But then I'd tell them 200,000 people at that point. And I said, every time I make a decision, when I'm serving 200,000 people, I'm gonna make somebody mad. Yeah. But can't let that stop me from making decisions and focusing on making decisions at, to serve the greater good is I talked about the extremes on either side. I regularly had the extremes, very angry with me, but that, that can't stop you from, from serving, but it does, it, it can wear on you at times and it can wear on your family more than me. Personally, I've got a pretty thick skin.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think i think that's really fair i think it's the impact on your families yeah i can definitely see that in in my time uh in my career yeah um so in terms of networks deke we we like to get guests to talk about the networks because everybody's a very different approach to their own networks okay and i always i personally believe it's a great learning point for anyone about how people do this. But and this this question I want you to know is, is really from, from from the heart of me because I'd like to really understand is there a, a difference between political networks and business networks?
0: I I I think so. But to me, so having come from a background in business going into politics, I used my business network to do things for the city. And I I approached running the city as running a business. So I I was not necessarily focused because I think in politics, the networking is to further your own needs or to maybe climb to a higher office. Whereas I use my business network to bring jobs and economic development to our city. So Mm. they are two different things, but but I think politically, unfortunately, it's more self-serving and not, you know, servant leadership at times. Not that there aren't good political leaders, but that's it. It generally, you know, I when I was elected to my second, I, the second time or the third time I ran, I, I took a very I had to really think it through because I felt like if if I take an oath to serve people for four years, mm-hmm. I it's a job, I'm not going to quit. I'm not looking to get a higher appointment. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. I took that seriously. But so often, political networking, you see somebody using an office as a stepping stone to get to another office or a political appointment. And that to me was was never what I was focused on. So I, I really even in public service, I focused on my business network much more than more so than my political network. And part of that is being an independent. You know, I, I, I was able to work with both parties, mm-hmm. I, but it, but it was yeah. never about it. being an independent. It wasn't like I was going to get a great appointment by a political party to a higher job. Yeah. do you, I, do, you do you think that, um, They're not
2: having that political party allegiance helped when you were trying to broker because there's there's an trust barometer goes on about the solving a lot of these social uh, challenges now is about bringing business and NGOs and governments together to work on the problems. And you mentioned that earlier, uh, how you worked in Augusta. Do you think not, you know, being sort of neutral helped to bring those three parties together?
0: Absolutely. And we're, we're fortunate in Georgia where local elections, municipal elections are nonpartisan. That doesn't right. mean that, you know, I do see a lot of mayors that are, have a political affiliation, which I, I personally think the beauty of Georgia's system is that these offices are nonpartisan. And I I would say that if you're a mayor and you closely align yourself with a political party, you're alienating part of your population, and that's yeah. that yeah. doesn't allow you to to be Switzerland and to be neutral yeah. and to bring <laughs> people together. So yes, absolutely, not having a party affiliation helped me tremendously, and and I but but I'll tell you an interesting story about that. So so but our district attorneys, who are the you know chief um, legal officer for certain yeah. districts, yeah. Those races are are partisan, and our mm. sheriffs races are partisan. Oh, and really? It, the sheriffs as well? Yeah, it's, I'm like, well, that's interesting to me that municipal elections are nonpartisan, but law enforcement and the judiciary yes. are partisan. Which I didn't, wow, I didn't know that. go figure.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's wow.
2: gonna that's gonna be pretty tricky when it comes to looking at uh,
1: we, uh, we have districts to, um... for spend. Yeah in the in the UK we have um, police and crime commissioners don't we Ian? Well the the, the district attorney is a little bit like Crown Prosecution Service oh, it is. I think the, I, the, yeah DA, yeah, is yeah yeah I think yeah. I've, I hope
2: I've got that right Yeah mm-hmm.
1: but the uh, the PCC in this country again yes. is, is a political appointment right it is a it is about the political parties fighting as to who does that um, so I can I can kind of live with with that being political, but actually getting down to the sheriff, I'm just trying to equate that to effectively having a chief constable in the UK that is uh, is politically affiliated. That's really, whew, I'd have to sit down and think <laughs> about that one a bit more, D.
0: <laughs> well, and that that's the thing to me is that, and I'm sorry, my corgi is barking in the background. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. <laughs> but but, uh, but that's the thing to me is I always try to take the politics out of it. And I will say that that is the, the frustrating thing about government to me is it's not a lot of these appointments aren't based on merit. And I think that every job should be based on merit, but it's, you know, how much have you rubbed shoulders with and glad handed certain people in powerful positions? But when I ran for mayor, I I said, look, I, you know, if I was, I'm applying for the job of mayor and I've chaired boards of directors, I've run a small business, I've run a nonprofit. And honestly, when the opportunity came available, if if somebody that I thought was more qualified from a leadership perspective than myself, I would have happily stepped aside, but I, I, even when I vote and at the national level, this is difficult, I think, you know, who would I hire to fulfill that position if if I had to, but sadly in the U S things have become so hyper-partisan. That it's really difficult to think, you know, I, I want to hire that guy or that lady to be a senator. You know, it, it's just but here again, it's it can be a popularity contest and not, you know, not based on merit to who we elect. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell me, you've, you've got you've got your consulting business. Mm-hmm.
2: What are some of the challenges that you're you're currently helping leaders with today?
0: really uh gosh I, I it's it's interesting because i think we've all had to fit, pivot right yeah so yeah. my my revenue model for to start the year was based on speaking engagements so my last speaking engagement was a great one i was at the university of texas el paso connected with the students and thought well this is i'm going to be on college campuses all over the us and potentially all over the world yeah well that was on mm-hmm. march 10th uh, <laughs> so so yep. i pivoted my business model because I, I've got some great friends um, who authored a book called The Submarine Way about leading through inclusion and diversity. But I had a Zoom call with them. And they said, well, you really need to be helping cities right now. So I've pivoted wow. my business model to do virtual consulting for cities. Wow. And I'm, I've done that because it literally... In looking at it, so I was mayor during the Great Recession and Man. during a yeah. catastrophic ice storm my final year in office, but I thought about it at the municipal level, there there are not a lot of people that have been through a crisis like this. It's, it's scalable. You know, this is way larger than the Great Recession, yeah. but so that's what I'm focused on to a large degree is helping municipalities, but it, helping businesses in leading through crisis as well. Because I, having been there, you know, one of the things that I, I think you have to focus on as a leader in business and politics, nonprofit world, I mean, NGOs in general, is maintaining a sense of composure during these times. Because as a leader, you are, in my humble opinion, your focus should be on setting the tone for the people you serve. Yeah. And it's it's a scary time for everybody right now. And I'm, I've shared with people that, you know, my business has been impacted. I know everybody's has, but you have to keep moving forward. You know, this is this, we will come through this. And I think the, the anxiety and the angst that's out there now is we, we can't see the other side. We don't know where the other side is, but as a business leader, as a leader in general, you have to maintain that composure. You have to keep the people around you motivated, the team you serve motivated. So I'm advising people all over the world about having been through situations like that. You know, people that I'm working with in Australia. Um, it's it's just, and and for me, the pandemic has opened up new opportunities because literally through doing things virtually, I can work all over the world at this point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And obviously your skills there and uh, helping people out during those elements of crisis, actually, you're quite right. You can work all over the world, can't you? And really help people out in the moment. So, uh, yeah, just going back to those couple of crises that you talked about whilst you were the mayor, you mentioned obviously the actual recession itself, Mm -hmm. um, 2008 onwards. um, And you also talked about the, the ice storm as well. Just want to pick up on the ice storm and just say, you know what? What came of that, Deke, For you, I and mean, what was the what was the bit out of that that you that you thought to yourself, I've really got to get this right for
0: for these people of Augusta and you know those around me. Um, that's a great question and a great story. So I was speaking to Philips Healthcare's um, mega conference in Orlando, Florida, right before the ice storm hit. So I spoke to 3000 people. I get off the stage and my executive assistant tells me, you know, all the flights back into Atlanta, which is where we flew out of yeah. have been canceled and to Augusta ahead of the ice storm. And I thought we, we are not going to miss this because yeah. I, I can picture the headline, you know, mayor lays on beach in Florida as <laughs> ice storm crushes oh. the city. But so we we rented a car, drove back, got in right ahead of the ice storm. Wow. And at 11 o'clock that night, the fire chief brought by the order for me to sign to declare an emergency. Wow. So I'm not, and I, I'd say that he's a worldwide figure, but the next morning, the Weather Channel, Jim Cantori, I was interviewing live with Jim Cantore on the Weather Channel. But one of the, it, it goes back to composure. You know, I, mm. I had to, it was it was the literally the storm of the century. And it came in my last year in office where I was thinking, well, it's my last year. I'm just going to coast and everything will be good. <laughs> but I, I and we that. actually, the, the storm hit on a Wednesday. We had a minor earthquake that Friday night. And I'm like, this is just like a disaster movie. Oh, yeah,
1: but, yeah, yeah. But
0: one of the lessons that I learned from that is we had major power outages for days. And so to to get accurate information out there is key during the middle of a crisis. So I used Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so most people's news feed, because they still had their cell phones, I was tweeting them the power company's latest updates, the governor's office latest updates, our local government's latest updates. So I was able to disseminate accurate information in the midst of the crisis where mm-hmm. there was no other real for, way to get it out. Yeah. So that's that's a lesson learned, but but going through crises as, as, as like the ice storm, you to a degree you have to make it up as you go along, and but but it does lead in some ways to innovation, and that's an example I've been able to use to local governments that if you have you know major power outages, there are still ways to get good accurate information to the people you serve.
1: Yeah, vital. Yeah, I, th- I think that's an incredible message. I really do. Um, I definitely heard the word composure and I definitely heard the word about com- communication out of that
0: lot. Deke, was, was, would that be a fair summary of that story? That that would be a very fair summary. And that's that's to me in in leadership. A big focus is to me, information flow. yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things that we're seeing worldwide, particularly in the United States and but it's every place is in the midst of a pandemic and social unrest to be able to find good accurate information is a difficult thing but that gets into another principle that I think of leadership is that people have to trust you yeah and if they don't trust you prior to a you know a very difficult situation hitting a crisis hitting it's hard to build trust in the middle of a crisis if you didn't yeah. have it going in. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely. one of the things that I I think here and probably the same thing in the UK is who do you believe, you know, in, in dealing with information flow, who do you look to and say, that's a leader that I trust and I'm going to base my business decisions on that mm-hmm. or my decisions on behalf of my family. It, it's just a difficult time now to find that trusted leadership that, but that's something that I think is leading to more of the anxiety and the angst.
1: Yeah. I think you ask a great reflective question there that I'm just going to highlight to people
0: and leave them with this
1: one. So after uh, today's podcast, please go away and ask yourself, who do you trust? Yeah. And uh, there's a question from Deke. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it's a great, it's a great reflective one. We like to leave people with these challenges, Deke. Okay. So Talking about challenges, I've got another challenge for you now. and um, in your book, The Change Maker, right? Which uh, I've got a copy of here, and uh, Ian's got a, a copy of on his uh, Audible. Is it Ian? Audible.
2: It's yeah. uh, it's it's great. It's a great companion when I'm on a plane or in the car going home. <laughs> there you go.
1: So, so we've consumed both different variants of it, but uh, and we have read it. Um, I, I'll be honest. I'm two thirds of the way through it. Okay, so I'm getting there, but. One of the things that dawned on me when I was reading it is that actually you talk about the seven attributes of of change makers and you list these and I'm going to read these for people. okay? You list them as creativity, courage, connecting, listening, transparency, composure and character. And Deke, I just want you to kind of apply yourself to that and say, which
0: of those actually represents the biggest gaps for current leaders? Composure would be one of them and I I think about a a great leader in the UK who's a hero of mine is Winston Churchill. Yeah. And I think about, you know, the composure that he was able to keep during the middle of world war two and the way he was able to inspire and unite a nation that those are two tremendous attributes, but, but I, I'm a character guy too. I think it's, everything else flows out of having a good character and I, i've often said and told people that to be a great man or woman you have to be a good man or woman first mm-hmm. and i think great leaders have good hearts and but but i'll get into the transparency too that's i was speaking to a reporter former reporter friend of mine that said you know the, the thing i loved about you when you were in office is you had an open door policy you know, we could walk into your office any day. And I think that creates a connection. If, if you are transparent, obviously listening is a huge key. And that's what I, I, I don't know how you can grow as a person or resolve issues. If you're unwilling, people are not going to listen to your opinion. If you're not willing to listen to theirs. and politically so often it just becomes a shouting match but i i used to tell people that the good lord gave you two ears two eyes and one mouth which to me means that you should spend two thirds of the time listening and watching and a third of the time talking so so it's because if you're not willing to listen how are you going to learn yeah i i find it really interesting that
1: uh You pick up on transparency there, and people said, you know, they felt able to come and speak to you, and you had your open door policy. Of the looking at that list, Deke, my experience Mm. tells me that poor leaders out of that list will always struggle with transparency. Okay, because they can kind of fudge the way around a lot of the others, they can put on a show and lie and all the rest of it. But actually, deep down, the one that people really struggle with as a basic is transparency. so where uh, it, it's it, again, without even prompting, uh, it's interesting that that's one that you draw out and give a real, real time answer of as to what happened.
0: Well, and I've I've shared with people that you you can't fake sincerity, and I I talk a lot in the book about vulnerability. And I I was doing a local TV show last year, and a good friend of mine said who was head of the show said you talk so much about vulnerability and is it possible to be vulnerable when you're in politics? I said, absolutely. He said, all the time? I said, yes. I said, it was the fact that I didn't say that I had all the answers or that I I was actually honest with people. Vulnerability connects you to the people you serve. And I think all too often when leaders purport to have all the answers when they don't, that comes off as hollow and that doesn't connect you to the people you serve. And and nobody. And I think in this situation, when we talk about leaders, you can trust during the midst of a pandemic, I, nobody has all the answers. No, there's yeah. just no way. It's a it's a fluid situation. It's ever changing. But I think good leaders can instill people with a sense of hope and say we're here again, we'll get through this. We'll figure this out as we go along, but we we all have to be really willing to pivot and to change at this point. And, but it is interesting to me that in the midst of, I I tell people, I see leaders trying to cling to this, or people in leadership positions, trying to cling to the status quo now, mm. and there is no status quo yeah. anymore. <laughs> That's you know, long like, gone. We either adapt or we get run over by the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, we we keep talking about that. Everything that you were uh, once knew and thought was normal has now gone, and uh, it's about finding your new levels, and that's for everybody in every organisation, isn't it? And and I just want to hone in on on about change, okay, for a minute, because again, I I think that you you've probably got some amazing wisdom and stories to tell people about this. So please share with us. What's your advice to people? who are trying to drive change in their business. And you talk about repivoting businesses at the minute. What's your advice to those leaders that are trying to do
0: that? Here again, I'll get back to don't listen to the vocal minority because, so an example of that. So when I decided to run for mayor, I was taken in a backroom, albeit not a smoky one, by business leaders that I knew locally and respect and still respect. But I was 37 years old and I was told not to run that. And ironically, I was told that I would be the best mayor of the candidates, but I I had not paid my dues. And I I was told that no older people would vote for me. No black people would vote for me. Younger people didn't vote. And I'm, I'm so competitive. I looked at him and said, look, I'm going to run and I'm going to win, whether you guys are in the race or not. <laughs> but, yeah. but here again, if I had listened to the, what amounted to ultimately being the Boca minority, I, I never would have run. And so it, it's easy when, when you, as a leader, when you go off and you go against the status quo, you're going to have your critics in your settings. but but we could never get to a point of innovating as a business as a as a world if we were totally driven by the vocal minority because you're people are gonna i mean the greatest leaders and the innovators i'm sure everyone at some point has been told you're crazy why why are you trying that yeah Yeah. because it's never going to work
1: yeah Yeah. that's really interesting thank you for that so uh yeah, don't worry. We we hear you on that about uh, don't listen to those naysayers. I I agree with that. What what do you think needs to change in leadership? Because um,
2: you know, COVID has clearly caused a major change, right? A, a major change over a short period of time. But globalization, technology disruption, all that stuff was happening before COVID, and stuff will happen after COVID. So mm-hmm. what does what, what does leadership need to change in this in this current era and post COVID? Do you think?
0: to constantly challenge ourselves to yeah. challenge the status quo because the world has changed and to to be willing to change our minds at times to keep an open mind there's a great old quote that I I think maybe Thomas is attributed to Thomas Dewar who Dewar's is my favorite scotch but it's a, a mind is like a parachute. It works best when it's open. And I think that's what if yeah. we as leaders become jaded and think that we know it all. It's that's I, I tell people that my book is not a self-help book because I'm a work in progress and I'm still learning. But it's just using life lessons to try to help other people and to serve other people. Yeah. But but that to be to keep an open mind. As a leader and to, to never, and I see this in businesses and I see it in communities to uh, to adopt a mindset of, but we've always done it this way.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm
0: like, that doesn't, you, you can't continue, particularly in a fast changing world right now, as a business, as a community, as an individual, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. There is no such thing as standing pat. So, just to, to keep that open mind, I think is a good thing. And to, and I'll go back to be willing to listen because I've, I've really engaged the next generation of leaders. Yeah. And I think it's, it's often we paint with a broad brush, right? Um, yeah. Millennials are always on their cell phones and they're blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, they're smart and they're they're They have a lot to share with us. And I, I believe in cross-generational learning so just realizing that we've got something to learn from everybody, from every culture, from every part of the globe, that helps us continue to grow as leaders. Yeah, absolutely. And and my seventeen-year-old son
2: continually reminds me of that. Let me tell. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> hey, um, I like to call this the doozy question of the show. Um, uh, really, what's your li- what's your leadership legacy going to be?
0: I- and I think legacies are for other people to define, but, but one thing that makes me so Augusta, before I ran for office was had a, uh, a reputation for racially based politics. And i I still, and so I focus one of my focuses was on healing the racial divide. And I have people tell me regularly, you were able to bring the community together. And so and I think that's a leadership focus that that I continue to have. So I I had it in office. I try to use every platform I have, I'm doing it through the book as well, to bring people together because I think that's what leaders do. They make people feel safe, included. Oh, yeah. You know, they if you have to use fear and intimidation to get your desired outcome, oh, that's bullying. Yeah. That's not leadership. But it's but I, I will tell you it's interesting. So when I first met with Forbes about the book, they said, well, you're going to have to target the de- demographic. And I thought, well, I didn't do that in office. I didn't do mm-hmm. that on media. Yeah. That's yeah. not where I go. It's focusing to the center of the bell curve. So my editor a year ago, December said, this is really going to appeal to a wide variety of people. So last summer I had a speaking engagement and I had a young lady, she's African-American vice chair of our local democratic party and she came up to me and said, I love your book. My 18 year old daughter loves your book and you need to run for office again. And I'd vote for you if you ran as a Republican. But then later in the That's week, wonderful had, feedback, isn't it? had a gentleman who actually knows the president, who is a dyed in the wool supporter of the president, who came up to me at a restaurant and said, I love your book. I just and went on and on about it. And I thought, do I tell him that the African-American vice chair of the Democratic Party felt the same way about it? <laughs> but but it's there. There's more that unites us than divides us. Exactly. And so yeah. Just hopefully that legacy will be bringing people together. And now I can do it on a global basis. That's right. Wonderful.
1: Yeah, you definitely can. And uh, if, if your legacy is about uniting people, uh, either through through your office uh, or through your book, then what a fantastic legacy, Deke. That's pretty amazing for anybody to claim that one. And uh, I think you're the right guy to do that. So uh, let's go with that one for you. It's, it's a good
0: answer. So, well, yeah. I, I appreciate that. And it's, I, I think about it and I, I have a strong faith, but I think that's, you know, my faith teaches me that that's what it's all about, that we're all in this together, that we're brothers and sisters. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, I, I tell people too though, I think I'm just an old hippie at heart. So I'm trying to really (laughs) unite the tribes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. well, stick with it. You're doing a great job. You
1: really are. So um, I I always love asking this question um, because, again, me and Ian take away from it, something that we probably haven't even thought about. We go away look at websites. We look at articles because of this. So I've got to ask the question, what resources would
0: you like to leave our listeners with, Deke? They can go to my website at deke-copenhaver, that's D-E-K-E-C-O-P-E-N-H-A-V dash as in Victor E-R. Um, on my media page there, you can find all my Forbes blogs, you can find interviews I've done, um, past podcasts. But it, it's been really interesting since COVID hit, I've been able to develop so much content that's really relevant and in the moment so i'd love for people to take a look at that um the book is available on amazon Um, my wife also sells it out of a book bag wherever we go so i won't give her (laughs) cell phone number here but but uh (laughs) really going to the website there's there's actually a, a test you can take a little drill you can do to see where you um are as a change making leader so i would encourage people to check that out but i'm I'm easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And I think I'm the only Deke Copenhaver in the world. So that, that wow. makes hey, <laughs> <laughs> and, But if there's another out there listening, please call me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, we might have a little surf later on just to see if we can find another Deke. You never know.
0: You never know. <laughs> we're, okay. never,
2: we're never going to find another one like yourself. No, so. not,
0: not like you, though. This is great. Well, you know, uh, De- Deke is actually a verb which I didn't realize your listeners can look it up. So it means to decoy somebody in hockey. Wow. You can get get deep.
2: (laughs) You kind of go one way and then go the other way for the goal.
1: Exactly. Wow. Well, again, it's a learning experience on a podcast. Isn't it? <laughs> really is, really Brilliant. is. Uh, Deke, thank you for all of that. We're going to list all of those in the show notes. Everybody will be able to jump onto those URLs afterwards. Um, I've been on Deke's website as you'd expect, and there is some amazing content on there. So please just take a few minutes to go and uh, have a surf on there, and then you can you can read and hear a bit of more of um, of Deek's brilliance uh, through that medium as well. Okay, <clears throat> uh, Deke, we're we're at the end of our time. Hasn't it flown?
0: Uh, it has absolutely flown. But but, guys, this has been such a pleasure. And as I say, I I enjoy meeting people all over the world and having conversations. And in lieu of being able to do that face to face for now, you guys have really started my day in a great fashion.
2: Oh, thank you very uh, well. Likewise. Uh, yeah. And we will get back on a plane and we will come to the U.S. and we will we will come to the great state of Georgia
0: and, yeah. and we well, will come to Augusta. Yep. Come to Augusta. That We've got a little golf tournament every year.
2: <laughs> I, I had heard this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we look forward, Deke, to uh, to
1: being stood there with you in Augusta. And uh, just before we started this podcast, everybody, we were telling Deke that um, me and Ian have spoke to several people over the last few months on this podcast who have been either in uh, Augusta or, or the state of Georgia. So we, we feel now that there's um, that there's a, a collection of people that we could meet up with and uh, go and have a coffee and actually meet physically the people that we've already spoken to on the podcast so we're really excited by that Deke
0: well absolutely and I'm looking forward to getting on a plane and coming to see you guys in the UK as well we can't wait you're most welcome welcome. yeah most welcome okay well listen everybody
1: let's wrap up there um Deke thank you very much for your time you've been an amazing guest and thank you for sharing all your knowledge
0: it has been an absolute pleasure and I'm just to all your listeners thank you for listening as well Okay, everybody,
1: uh, thanks again. That's been Leadership, the Future, and Tea with our very special guest, Deke Koopenhaver. We'll see you all next time on the next podcast. Bye-bye, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership, the Future, and Tea. Please take time to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also leave us a comment with topics you'd like to hear in the upcoming episodes.